Chapter Fifteen of Kit and Kitty by Richard Doddridge Blackmore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Fifteen Moral Support. In spite of all said to the contrary, I believe that young people upon the whole are more apt to ponder than the old folk are, at least if to ponder means, as it should, to weigh in the balance of pros and cons the probable results of their own doings. The old man remembers the time he has lost in thinking thoughts that came to naught, and he sees that if they had come to much, that much would have been very little now. The young man has plenty of time on his hands and believes he is going to do wonders with it, and makes a bright map of his mighty course in life, and this is the wisest thing that he can do. But when he falls in love, alas, his ripe wisdom is seldom applied to himself, like a roguish grocer with a magnet in his counter, he brings the scale down to his own liking. But he differs from him in that he cheats himself. Being very wise in my own eyes, I pondered very carefully my next step, not with any thought of retiring, but with a firm resolve to advance in the strongest and most effective manner. My uncle's long story, instead of damping, had added hot fuel to my ardor, and compassion had lent a deeper tone to passion tender pictures arose before me of my angelic kitty starved and tortured and snubbed and trampled and worst of all perhaps to a female body shabbily and grotesquely dressed such a woman as my uncle had described was enough to drive the largest-minded man to fury and to grind the sweetest of her own sex into fragments of misery and despair the one crumb of comfort i could pick up was that such cruelty must make my darling pine all the more for tender love, and long perpetually for some refuge, however humble it might be. But the point of all points was, how should I get at her? All these things were passing through my mind for about the thousandth time, yet all in vain, as I came back from Chertsey on old Spanker's back a day or two later in that same week. Old Spanker was as good a horse as ever tasted corn, and when we got together we always seemed to fall into very much the same vein of thought. Not that Spanker had any love troubles, but plenty of other cares and considerations which brought him into tune with me as we jogged along. If anything went amiss in our premises, Spanker seemed to find it out. Not one of us knew how, and to feel a friendly sadness for us, though it never affected his appetite. So warm was his interest in our affairs that whenever he took a load to Covent Garden, the proper thing always was to let him know how it had been disposed of, and Celsey Bill declared that he came home with his ears pricked forward or laid back, according as the prices had been up or down. But Celsey Bill, with seventeen hungry children, was himself as sympathetic as almost any horse. It was very nigh dark, for the days were drawing in, being nearly come to the equinox, and the weather breaking up as we had foreseen. Indeed, but for that I should not have been here, for my uncle would never have sent me to Chertsey if the fruit had been fit to be gathered to-day. Never gather any fruit when it is wet except a horse-chestnut, he used to say, and you may find the flavor of that improved. But the rain had not been so very heavy, only just enough to hang on things and make them sticky. And now there was a strong wind getting up, which was likely to fetch down a hundred bushels. The river was no longer in high flood, though still over its banks and turbulent, 
and I had not to ride through great stretches of water as our roads require one to do, even if they let him pass at all, when the Thames comes down at its utmost. When I was a lad in 1852, we could scarcely go anywhere without swimming, and now, without floods, I very nearly had to swim, for old Spanker stopped as suddenly as if he had been shot in a dark place where there was a ditch beside the road, and I, riding carelessly and mooning on my grievances, was as loose on his back as my hat on my head. I just saved myself from flying over his ears, and then flourished my whipstock, for I thought it was a footpad. Don't be a fool, Kit. You have done a little too much of that to me already. The voice was well known to me, and the glimmering light showed the figure of Sam Henderson. He had a contemptuous manner of putting his heels on the earth with his toes turned up and out as if the world were not worth riding, except with a reckless attitude. But I was vexed to be pulled up like this and nearly cast out of the saddle, therefore I said something of his own sort. Young man, you don't value my good intentions, and you're not all charmed with a new dodge, for fetching a horse up before he can think. You saw I never touched your bridle. Well, never mind that, I'm not going to teach you. How are things getting on at your crib, my boy? Famously, I answered, for it was not likely that I should discourse of my troubles to him. Nothing could be better, Mr. Henderson, and since you have proved your new dodge satisfactory, I will say good night and beg you not to do it to me again. What a confounded muff you are, he continued in his slangly drawl, which he had picked up perhaps at Tattersall's. You think that I would have come down this beastly lane on a dirty night like this without I had something important to say? How about your kitty? This was a little too familiar and put me on my dignity. At the same time it gave me a thrill of pleasure, as a proof of the public conclusion upon a point of deep private interest. If you happen to mean in your cheeky style a young lady known as Miss Fairthorne and the niece of Miss Coldpepper of the Hall, I can only tell you that she is in London with her father, the celebrated Captain Fairthorne, a pinch for stale news, as we used to say at school. Perhaps I could give you a fresher tip, my boy, but I dare say you don't care to hear it. Perhaps you have put your money on another felly. So have I, and this time it is a ripper. Little as I liked his low manner of describing things too lofty for his comprehension, I could not let him depart like this. He lit a cigar under Spanker's nose as if he had been nobody and whistling to his bull-terrier Bob turned away as if everything was settled. But I called him back sternly, and he said, Oh, well, if you want to hear more, you must turn into my little den down there. I followed him through a white gate, which he opened in the high paling that fenced his paddocks, and presently we came to a long, low building, more like a shed than a dwelling-house, but having a snug room or two at one end. This is my doctor's shop, he said, and it serves for a thousand other uses. No patience at present. Will be plenty by and by. Come into my snuggery and have something hot. I will send a fellow home with your old screw and tell the governor not to expect you to supper. Rump steak and onions in ten minutes, Tom, and a knife and fork for this gentleman. Now, Kit, put your trotters on the hob, but have a pole first at this pewter. This was heaping hot coals of fire on my head. After all that I had done to him, and I said something clumsy to that effect, he treated it as if it were hardly worth a word, and much as I love to be forgiven, I like to have done it to others much better. I never think twice of a thing like that, he replied without turning to look at me. 
A fellow like you, who never sees a bit of life, gets waxy over nothing, and makes a fool of himself. You hit straight, and I deserved it. I live among horses a deal too much to bear ill will, as the humans do. Let us have our corn, my boy, and then I'll tell you what I heard in town today, and you can grind it between your wisdom teeth. In spite of all anxiety, I did well with the victuals set before me, and Sam was right hospitable in every way, and made me laugh freely at his short, crisp stories with a horse for the hero, and a man for the rogue, or even a woman in some cases. I endeavored to match some of them with tales of our own nags, but those he swept by disdainfully. No horse was worth talking of below the rank of thoroughbred, as the story has no interest until we come to the earls and the dukes and the marquises. Now, said Sam Henderson when the plates were gone and the glasses had succeeded them, Kit Orchardson, you are a very pleasant fellow, considering how little you know of the world. I never thought there was so much in you. Why, if you could get over your shyness, Kit, you would be fit for very good society. But it is a mistake on the right side, my boy. I would much rather see a young chap like that than one of your bumptious clodhoppers. I suppose I am the only man in Sunbury who ever goes into high society, and I take good care that it never spoils me. There is not a lord on the turf that won't shake hands with me when he thinks I can put him up to anything, but you can't say I am stuck up, can you now? Certainly not, I declared with warmth, for his hospitality was cordial. You keep to your nature through the whole of it. It would spoil most of us to have so much to do with noblemen. You and I should see more of one another, Sam answered with gratification beaming in his very keen and lively eyes. And if ever you would put a bit of Uncle Corny's tin upon any tit at long odds, come to me. The finest tip in England free, gratis and for nothing. But I called you in for a different sort of tip. When I was at the corner this afternoon, who should I see but Sir Cumberlay Hotspot? I dare say you may have heard of him. No? Very well. That proves just what I was saying. You are as green as a grasshopper looking at a cuckoo. Pot, as we call him, and it fits him well, for his figure is that, and his habits are black. Is one of the best-known men in London, and one of the worst to have much to do with. Hoa, Sam, he says. Glad to see you. What'll you take for your old sinner now? Sinner, you must know, is my old mare... Cinnaminta, the dam of more winners than any other mare alive, and the old rogue knows well enough that I would sooner sell my shadow, even if he had sixpence to put on it. He gives himself out to be rolling in money, but all he ever rolls is in the gutter. Well, sir, we got on from one thing to another, and by and by I gave him just a little rub about a hatful of money I had won of him at Chester, and never seen the color of. All right, he says down upon the nail next week. Haven't you heard what's up with me? So I told him no, and he falls to laughing, enough to shake the dye out of his grizzly whiskers. Going to buckle too, by gosh I mean it, says he, and the sweetest young filly has ever looked through a ribband. Rejoices in the name of Kitty Fairthorn, just the very name for the winner of the Oaks. <laughs> Wish me joy, old chap. She was down your way, I'm told, last week. "'But I had spotted her before that, Sam. "'I was thrown upon my haunches, as you may fancy, Kit, "'but I did not let him see it, "'though to think of old crumbly pot going in for such a stunner. "'Rhino, no doubt,' I says, and he says, "'By the bucketful. "'Her dad is a buffer who can sit down and coin it in batteries. 
and only this kid to put it on. The others belong to a different stable. Think of coming for the honeymoon down to your place. They tell me you keep the big crib empty. Well, I only shook my head at that, for the old rogue never pays his rent, and I asked him when it was to be pulled off. Pretty smart, he said, but the day not named. And he must go first to Lincolnshire to see about his property there, which I happen to know is up the spout to its outside value, although he always talks big on the strength of it. And no doubt he has got over your grand professor, with his baronetcy and his flourishing estates. That's about the tune of it, you may swear, Kit. Well, how do you like my yarn, my boy? Sam, it shall never come off, I cried with a stamp which made the glasses jingle, and the stirrup-irons that hung on the wall rattled as if a mad horse were between them. I would rather see that innocent young creature in her coffin than married to such a low brute. Why, even if she married you, Sam, although it would be a terrible fall, she would have a man and an honest one comparatively to deal with. But as to the crumbly pot, as you call him— Well, old fellow, you mean well, replied Henderson with tranquillity, though your compliments are rather left-handed. But you may look upon me, kid, as out of the running. I was taken with the girl, I won't deny it, but she didn't take to me, and she took to you. And between you and me, I'm as sure as eggs she hasn't got sixpence to bless herself. That wouldn't suit my book, and I'm no plunger. She wants no sixpence to bless herself. She is the best without a halfpenny, and a blessing she will be to any man who deserves her, although there is none on the face of this earth. Very well, very well, stow all that. A woman's a dark horse, even to her own trainer. But I've met with just a fine bit of stuff a lovely young filly down in Lodred. She's the only daughter of an old man there, and if ever I spotted Derby Nag, he has got the next one in his string this moment. I have not quite made up my mind yet, but I think I shall go in for her. At any rate, I'm off with the Fairthorn Lady. Why, there's a cuss of a woman to deal with there, who'd frighten a dromedary into fits, they say. I wonder if old Pot knows about it, but Pot shan't have her if I can help it and you may trust me for knowing a thing or two. Come, let's strike a bargain, Kit, and stick to it like men. Will you help me with the Ludred job? If I do all I can for you in the Fairthorn affair, give me your hand on it, and I am your man. I told him that I did not see how I could be of any service to him in his scheme of the young lady he was thinking of, but he said that I could help him as much as I liked, for a relative of mine lived in that village, an elderly lady, and highly respected, as she occupied one of the best houses in the place, and more than that it belonged to her. It was some years now since I had seen her, but she had been kind to me when I was at school, and Sam proposed that I should look her up and give a bright account of him, and perhaps do more than that, for the young lady visited at that house, and valued her opinion highly. I now perceived why Henderson had become so friendly, and was able to trust him, as he had a good motive. Moreover, I had heard of his lovely filly, and even seen her when she was a child, and I knew that her father, the well-known Mr. Chalker, had made a good fortune in the racing business and perhaps would be apt to look down upon Sam from the point of higher standing and better breeding. Being interested now in all true love, I readily promised to do all I could, and then begged for Sam's counsel in my own case. "'Take the bull by the horns,' he said with his usual briskness. Never beat about the bush. That's my plan, Kit. Go up and see the governor and say, I love your daughter. I hear she is awfully sad upon at home, 
and doesn't even get her corn regular she has taken a great liking to me i know that and although i am not a great gun and am terribly green my uncle corny is a warm old chap and i shall have all his land and money when he croaks you see governor you might do worse and as for old pot if you knew the old scamp you'd sooner kill your girl than let him have her why he can't even square his bets and all his land in lincolnshire is collared by the moseys hand her to me and i'll make her a good husband and you shall come to our place and live jolly when you can't stand your devil wife no longer kid i'll write it down for you if you like you say all that to him exactly as i said it and if you don't fetch him turn me out to grass in january i was much amused that henderson should call me green and yet be in earnest with such absurdity as this which i recommended him since he had such faith in it to learn by heart and then repeat with the needful alterations to the gentleman whose daughter he was anxious now to win however though indignant and frightened sadly at the news about that vile baronet i was pleased in the whole with sam's behaviour though not with his last words which were these as he left me at the top of the village and he uttered them with much solemnity i say who stole the dog talk of angels after that end of chapter fifteen